Hello. I just wanted to stop you for one minute just while I answer the question that was set by Eric Green in the last podcast. Eric asked me, what does the what does better leadership look like? Uh, and obviously this is very subjective and very uh, unique to each individual. But I think the end, the uh, essence is that there is no end to leadership on developing as a leader. As leaders, we are constantly learning, adapting, changing and trying out new things. And that is that's sort of the essence of leadership is continuing constant development and trying to become a better leader constantly. Um, there is no end to it. Um, so that's sort of what I believe in terms of better, what is better leadership. Um, so I'll let you enjoy this week's podcast. To, uh, today, this is, um, we're joined by Patricia Haywood, and we're talking about women in construction and the importance around self-awareness. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the 16th episode of the Leadership in Construction podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and today I'm joined by the absolute fantastic Patricia Hayward. Patricia is the founder of Master Build Hers. So Patricia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this, this podcast today. So Patricia, I want to start off really sort of by understanding your sort of background uh, and how you got into construction because it's very sort of interesting story. I'm sure absolutely everybody would love to hear it. So can you just give me a sort of brief background behind yourself? Well, so I'm I actually trained as a barrister. I practice as a lawyer, um, but oh. I've been working for a long time. I've been working since I was probably around 13. I've just always been working and paying my way. But growing up, so I grew up in Jamaica. That's where I'm from. And my family always had like um, an interest in construction, doing just small scale, like road surfacing. So from that standpoint, I was exposed to the sector, and, you know, doing work and stuff like that. My family members, I had family members who did the hard graft work. Um, and then I moved on to doing law. Um, I don't know if you want to hear that story. Yeah, go for <laughs> so it. So I, I, I actually, um, I did law. I was trying to figure out what next to do. I was in school and I grew up actually in a very um, garrison community. So I was, I'm not from a wealthy family, but I knew that I wanted to just elevate my lifestyle and do something, be more, do more. And I was at school. We had careers day. A lawyer came. I, I think it was the first time we had careers day. They were trying something new. <laughs> And this lawyer came and he spoke to us, you know, about he was well-dressed and stuff. I was like, hmm, well-dressed, you know, seems like he makes good money, speaks nice. I think this is the, this is the thing I'm going to do. <laughs> this, this was my roots out, you know. <laughs> and so after he spoke, I ran him down. I spoke to him. I asked him, you know, like, what do I have to do to be a lawyer? Because I didn't know. I didn't really have professionals in my family. Um, you know, we're all basically blue collar workers and stuff. So he, he took out a paper. He asked me like, what am I doing on my course with my grades? And he just basically gave me like the guide to life. <laughs> and um, from there, I just started doing what he said, uh, trying to get those grades. And then I went into law and that's how I did law. I practiced for a little bit. And then I actually worked in the British Virgin Islands. And from there, I, I, coming from a small island, you always, you realize at some point that the world is bigger than, than your little <laughs> globe or your little bubble. Mm -hmm. And so I always wanted to see more of the world. So I came to Dundee, I did a master's, I did a master's in France, and then it came the financial crisis. Um, mm -hmm. It was the height of it. I don't think I fully understood what was going to happen and no one was hiring, mm -hmm. at least not for a lawyer at my level. 
And so I started my first business then. And I did international trade and development, doing like um, non-tariff barriers to trade. So looking at like roads, um, how construction can help economies, what are the infrastructures you need for trade, that type of thing. So that is how I then got thrown back into like the construction, but from a different standpoint. But even when I was doing law, I was doing like project financing, that type of thing. But then I got thrown back in like the on-site in-country work doing that. And I grew that business really well. That business took me around different countries, living in different countries. And then um, from there, when I moved to Jakarta, I started doing more like oil and gas um, infrastructure, renewables and helping to advise um, on some of those projects. And then when I came back to the UK, I moved back into renewables and infrastructure. So it was just a journey. And, and that's how I really came full circle back into working in construction, having just a lot of transferable skills that I could bring over. But by this time, I started other companies, multiple companies, even when I lived in um, Jakarta, I also lived in Singapore. Um, I did, um, for example, you know, they're very big on teak. And rattan, so I started doing that. I would travel around the country finding um, like um, suppliers who would build furniture for me and stuff like that. I would export it to like the West or there was a huge expat community. So they would commission through me because quality control is a huge issue. And then, you know, having someone who speaks English is a first language. And then I, I was like the middle person for them. So they would commission and, so I would do some of that. So I was always having just this entrepreneurial spirit. And uh, so I brought a lot of skill sets in to working um, in construction, working mainly on infrastructure, engine, large engineering projects. So that's how I started um, doing that. It, 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 was, it wasn't a straight line and it wasn't like a plan. <laughs> you know, I just went one foot in front of the other, opportunities came and I took them, mm. yeah. I mean, this has to be absolutely one of the most fascinating uh, sort of life stories I kind of ever heard of. I mean, it, you, the amount of organisations you worked in, the sort of things you've done, the, the, the places you've worked, it's just, uh, I didn't even didn't think it was possible even, you know, to work in so many places. I, I think it's just absolutely amazing, really. Um, and so in terms of the construction that you, you talked about in the United Kingdom, is there any projects you've been working on that we may have heard of? Yeah, so I've worked on a couple of projects. I've worked, like... When I worked in um, offshore renewables, I worked in, on the major projects, mostly German funded projects. And then in infrastructure, civil engineering, I've worked on like Crossrail, for example, and um, big, you know, big projects like that. Extension of like um, the tube lines and stuff like that I've, I've worked on. So, and you know, those projects tend to take many years. <laughs> So um, that's what I've been doing, but I'm more in the commercial side of things. Yeah. So I lead the commercial and commercial looking at just the value for money, every mm -hmm. pound spend, how do we get that value? Um, especially because the projects that we work on are partly taxpayer funded. So it's mm -hmm. ensuring that the taxpayer gets value for every pound spent on those projects. Mm. So um, that's, and then I moved more into project program management because I've just always had that interest and I've also worked in like project program management in before when I was even doing like international trade and development and non-tariff barriers to trade it's really coming in and helping um, capacity development and project managing um, like the studies and stuff like that and uh, so you know bringing all those skills back over and I mean the reason why we came I came back to the UK is because you know I was living um, in country um, and you know married and we wanted to have a child and we're just like we just wanted to come back to a base <laughs> somewhere mm -hmm. and so after a while it's fun but after a while you're like okay let's pack up the suitcase now <laughs> okay let's put down some roots Okay, okay. And, and because it's a transient lifestyle and yeah. it's hard to like maintain friendships, you know, see family, um, just do the things that we take for granted daily. Mm. It becomes mm. a lot harder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I say it's, it's extremely uh, sort of fascinating um, and sort of 
I think it's good to sort of see, I mean, I don't think there is a typical route into construction. Mine was completely by accident, as, as most people's sort of routes is sort of by accident to get into construction. Um, and I do sort of believe that most people that get into it really enjoy it and really love it and can't imagine themselves in any other industry. And I think that's one of the new, unique things about construction. And I think it's great to sort of see that the different roles in construction, it's not um, person with a shovel uh, in, a, in a trench digging holes and things like that, you know. Um, it you know there's the commercial side the project management side the design side the architectural side there's huge amounts of different roles within the construction industry the logistics there's there's all sorts of different roles and I think it's important that everybody especially sort of the younger generation see that there are different roles uh, and perhaps we can have a new generation of people who purposefully want to get into the construction industry in a specific role and sort of really aim for that that's that that would be the great thing um, and so as you're sort of growing up, you talked about you, you, you had a career stay at school and, and that's what sort of got you into, um, you know, wanting to be a lawyer. As you were sort of growing up, as you were sort of going through university and, and, and uh, you know, um, growing your craft as a lawyer, did you have any sort of um, role models, particularly female, female role models that you could look up to and aspire to, to be like? Um, not a lot to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was hard finding a lot of female role models who were at a level that you could aspire to. Um, so for example, the firm that I, one of the firms that I worked in, the first firms I worked, they didn't have a lot of female partners, for example. They had female senior associates, but that's about it. And um, I, there was a female associate who kind of took me under her wings and she helped me a lot to like build myself coffees because I had met a, a senior associate, a female in that firm who tore me down. Yes. <laughs> and working with her was a nightmare, you know, mm. and, and then I, I fought my way to leave that department and then I met another female female senior associate and she was just a lot more empathetic and caring and she kind of took me under her wings and she helped me along because uh, I was fresh out of law school right mm. um, so I would say in real life um, that that was like the mentor that I had but I think because I always you know, I, as I said before, I didn't have a lot of like professionals in my family. Well, I had no professionals in my family. I, I don't necessarily had a lot of good examples, role models, like you can be all things, do all things. So from that age, I quickly learned to, to look outside of the real world for examples. So for example, I, I have a circle of influence and I've all, oh, these are people I probably do, I have no idea. We've never met, they're probably even dead but I would always like read about them and find people out who are not necessarily people that I can touch and see and speak to and look at them and see what I like about them, values, you know, morals and um, behaviors, habits, and try to emulate that. So that's one of the things that I do to fill that gap because oftentimes, especially in, in the path that I've taken, it's not a path that a lot of people take. And so you, I found it hard to see other females, especially at high levels that I could look to, or, uh, for, you know, for example, in, in my little circle of um, like friends from like law school and stuff, I was the only one who was taking this risk. You know, a lot of people looked at me like, oh, you know, what is she doing? Because the, the, the path is to graduate law school. You go to a firm, you work your way up, 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 up to partnership and you sit there and you collect, <laughs> you know, your equity <laughs> and you live a grand life. You know, I didn't do that. I was off doing random stuff that people couldn't understand, like even my family couldn't understand. So you studied all this time to be a lawyer and you're going off to do, they, they just can't understand what you're doing. And so and that's because there's a lack of representation also. Um, you know, because even that, that traveling lifestyle working in country, most of the consultants are men. You know, it makes sense um, because 
traditionally men were the ones who could go out and about, leave their families and go there like, you know. But I fill that gap by just look finding people. And I still have this circle that I tap into these people who some of them might be dead. And I read about them. I watch their videos, even on YouTube. I listen to what they have to say. And I pull things from all of them and try to emulate them in my life. Mm. Yeah. Is there any one person in particular that you'd totally say you get most value out? I'm sure there's lots of people either listening or watching that would be interested to sort of understand. So one, one person that I really love is Napoleon Hill. And I watch a lot of his videos. I also like Marcus Garvey. I watch his videos. Um, so those are two other people. I love Michelle Obama. <laughs> we are best friends in my head. I'm like, you know, cause she, she's a lawyer too. You know, yeah. she's a black woman and she has really um, ascended to a level that, you know, uh, for a lot of women, we look up to her, you know, so I'm, I'm friends yeah. with her in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So this, I suppose, um, you know, as you got to come into the construction industry, um, did you see that change? Did you see more sort of female leaders or uh, people that could sort of um, mentor you? Um, or did you sort of become the mentee, you know, sort of? Yeah, I, I know. What happened is that when I moved into construction, I, I became the mentor for a lot of, uh, especially women, and mm. even for younger men too. And I, a part of it, I think, is because um, after you get to know my my journey, that didn't just come from like engineering backgrounds. So people get interested, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you've done this, you've done that, and 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 uh, I think also, you know, coming from just like my circle of influence thing and pulling those habits, I try to emulate them in my daily life. So I somehow became the mentor um, in construction. They. There are not a lot of women, especially um, in the pyramid, high up the pyramid. There are not a lot of women. And so it, the representation is not necessarily there. Mm. And then, um, so it was hard, or it, it still mm. is hard as a woman to find another woman at a level where you be like, oh, and especially a woman who is at that level who then looks down to help you mm. uh, for various reasons, right? that they don't necessarily, you know, one of the things that we say now is to, you know, um, turn around and pull the other one up. Mm. Um, we don't necessarily initially had that culture. So, yeah, I somehow became the mentor for quite a few women, you know, especially women who were stuck in their careers for years upon years. And I think also is because I bring that outside view because I, I still consider myself, well, I don't even have to go. The industry still sees me as an outsider. <laughs> you know, that's how mm. construction is. Construction tends to be very closed. And um, even, um, you know, someone who is from not, because I studied law, for example, I didn't do a STEM. I did STEM in high school, you know, but I met that lawyer who showed me the way, <laughs> yeah. mm. you know, um, so because of that, uh, it, it has been my experience that in construction, if you're not necessarily from a hard STEM background, you're seen as not, you don't really see that person as someone who can add a lot of value, hmm. which is the wrong impression. Hmm. That's the wrong assumption. Absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah. Because I don't use my STEM knowledge on a day-to-day basis now. Yeah. So, it got to me where I am so, now, but I don't use it now. So yeah, I yeah. think that's ridiculous. So, so we bring a lot of transferable skills and experience and that outside view. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I bring is that outside view because, um, you know, I've seen construction in so many different countries. I've seen practices. I work in so many different sectors that I can pull lessons and bring them in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what like the women who would come to me, that's what they saw. So here is the, this woman who hasn't, um, you know, come from, a straight path into construction and here she is we know so i would help them from everything from cv to um, interviews to how to negotiate the salary i'm big on that <laughs> we don't leave money on the table we, we um, might need to talk <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's what i was helping um women with 
um, when I moved into, yeah. and I was also challenging. I was ch doing a lot of challenging because there was one organization I worked in where I was considered too much girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, so I've always been standing up and speaking out. Um, yeah. That's good. That's great. Um, so what, what would you say? I mean, um, you don't have to give any specifics, but what's been sort of one more challenging aspects of being a woman in construction? Oh, wow. There are so many challenges. You know, mm. one is just um, the fact that construction is still such a gendered um, sector with very little movement in the direction of gender equality or equity. Um, even on any level, and you know, research has shown that at our current pace, it's going to take about 200 years before we see any real change, the change that we so desperately need in the industry. And what that does is that it's created uh, a sector of old boys, and it's created a sector that is filled with people who look, speak, um, you know, walk like each other, and that has stifled innovation. And so what you have is women, a lot of women are lower down the pyramid. The lower down the pyramid you go is where you find women, which is such a shame because women bring so much to the table, especially in construction. And, and I mean, my story might, might seem um, so unique, but it's not because a lot of women come into construction um, through a different door. It's not straight uh, like uni, like for example, engineering or some, construction related degree and then into construction how it is set up right now a lot of women come in older like i did i didn't come in straight from uni and they come in through a different path what that means is that we're bringing a lot of transferable skills to the industry an outside view and i'm big on having an outside view mm. a different way of looking at things um insights that you don't get because you won't get um, if everybody's from the same background. And we all know that, for example, creative people think differently from technical people, you know, lawyers think differently from accountants. It's a fact. I mean, research has been done on this. So imagine having a melting pot where everybody is given the same amount of opportunities, the same plat uh, platform, the time to speak, the respect, the importance, what that will really do for the industry. You know, so the challenges that women face is not just a challenge for women alone and this is what we need to get this is not just a woman's thing mm. this is an industry it go, it impacts everything and even looking at um the men in the industry it impacts them too because it it means that let's say you are a man in construction and your wife works in construction I mean, how would you feel knowing the issues that she goes through? It impacts you too. And we also in the industry, you know, we have one of the highest suicide rates or industry, um, you know, so it means that not only are these challenges um, um, affecting and depressing to women, but it is clear that the culture within our industry is also impacting the men. It is also impacting the men. So I, I believe that if we can really, um, come together and i guess this will come to at some point to i don't know if you're going to make this point about like allies and what men can do is having that high level of self-awareness that's what we need and it's based on that that things are going to start changing you know we have this thing about um you know the levels of consciousness for example and then you have the levels of, of uh, i guess like people who think they're they're good at something but they're not necessarily good at it because they have a low level of self-awareness it yeah. is only when you re you reach out that you understand that there are unknowns unknowns there are things that you just do not know right you just can't comprehend it at this because you're just not on that wave, you're not on that energy line at that point in time. And in my experience has been that as an industry, we are so below the line of um, mastery in terms of self-awareness. And that's why these issues continue to perpetuate and, and hinder us. I mean, everybody, we know that we're in a, um, 
the business of making money for most construction companies. It's a bottom line thing. And so the case has been made for a long time now that it impacts the, the bottom line. So I think that now the discussion needs to move from that point and perhaps be had on a human level as to then it becomes a moral issue. You know, is this the way we want to go into the, the next couple of years having this type of inequality within our industry? Do we want to continue as an industry that lacks innovation? You know, we are so far behind. We look at, for example, the motor industry, the motor car industry, we are so far behind. Um, you know, um, we have fully electric cars, we have driverless cars coming on board. And, you know, we're still laying bricks the same way, you know, we're still, we saw it during COVID, for example, where supervisors could get on site, yet still we have drones. You know, uh, we are just not innovating and utilizing the technology that is present that can be transferred from other industries. And that is why it is so important to be open to, uh, to women um, and to people from other backgrounds. And I say women because women tend to be older and coming through different pathways. We bring so much to the industry that yeah. it's underestimated. Because even I had this um, discussion even um the couple of weeks ago with the you know the RICS they were sending out fielders for responses on the process and the, and I was just like even the way in in which we so for example if you want to be a lawyer in the UK you can study really anything and then you can do the um, like the LPC and stuff like that to qualify and there is a pathway even to come into the industry and to be certified to do certain work in the industry, it is such a hassle as someone who is not from, let's say, a STEM background or so in order to navigate that. So even just the way in which we set up um, getting certified, um, making that impact, getting stuck into things is such a hurdle for women. For example, apprenticeships apprenticeship system in the industry is geared towards younger people but research shows that women tend to be older when they come into the industry for many reasons they might you know take time out uh, they might start a career for example they might decide okay i'm going to have children they take some time out and then they decide oh i'm going to go into construction you know i want to work with my hands i want to do a trade or and it's hard to get an apprenticeship because you're older so even something like that, if the numbers, and this is another thing, we need to start making decisions based on data, you know, um, informed decisions. So if the data is showing us, and there are tons of research online about this, if the data is showing us that a lot of women come into the industry older, and I see this because I connect with a lot of women online, they contact me, right? Um, they come into the industry older, then why is it that we're not creating us as an environment or a space or accommodating them to make that transition mm. you know because the fact is that the younger people and we know this because we we see that we are having a labor shortage in the industry this is a fact yep. i mean like even the us close to 50 percent, i think it's like 40 something percent of the cons the construction industry are baby boomers mm -hmm. right we're going to, have, and in the UK, it's similar. We're going to have a huge gap to fill. And we know that a lot of these young people, so like we're going into schools, we're telling people, oh, come to the industry. These people aren't ready to work. They're not ready to work, right? So who are going to fill these the gaps? It's going to be people from other industries, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we know that these young people are not coming right now, and we have a whole set of people on the sidelines who are holding their hands up and saying, I'll work, but we're not making any like opportunities available to them. Then mm. that's a huge, huge issue. Yeah. That's really interesting because I, I can see it from um, the sort of mid twenties, early career sort of age um, into thirties where they feel pressurized to get as much done as soon as possible. Cause as she says, the older you get, that's the, the opportunities become sort of less. They're trying to make the most of those opportunities while sort of younger. And as you say, yes, for particularly for women and, and for any other sector to come in sideways at, a, at a, another level, uh, at a different age, there does, there isn't that, um, 
ability to do that as much. And one of the key things I think you're talking about there is about perspective and huge amount requirement for getting different perspectives on um, how we design things, how we build things, innovation, um, how we build better societies. We need the perspectives of everybody um, and we need to allow people to come into the industry from the side to, um, to feed into those perspectives as well. And self-awareness, that's hugely important as well. I do do believe in that as well, exactly how you said it. So um, thank you for that. The how did this how does this sort of tie in with your um, master build hers then? Can you tell me a bit more about about why you started that? What was the drive for starting that and what you sort of hope to achieve with Master Build Hers? So I started Master Build Hers. I had the idea for Master Build Hers back in 2017. I was doing a master's actually and in major program management. And my professor was, he had a slide deck and he was talking about the master builders. So at my university, uh, the greats, the people who build on time to budget, deliver the scope and the benefit, um, you know, they're considered master builders so he had this slide deck and there was only one woman there there was only one woman in this deck and i was just like where are the other women there i mean even even in my cohort i think that was the, the first cohort with so many women and probably about uh, 10 of us or so who were in the cohort and that was the most women in the history of the program right and i was just like uh, at that point, I decided I'm on a mission to find more of these women because these we are out here, right? But the fact it comes back to the earlier point, the fact of the matter is that we don't get the uh, as many opportunities to really develop and to hone our skills and to ascend that, that level of mastery. And even when we ascend that level of mastery, we don't necessarily get that recognition and respect. So I was, uh, that's when I decided I was going to do master build hers because, you know, it was all about the master builders. <laughs> and so that's how that came about. And I started a master build hers with the aim. My mission is clear within the UK. Um, female entrepreneurship is, is not, it, it's not like the U S the U S they have a hotbed of women entrepreneurs. I even, I think even in 2020, they had one of the most um, women startups US. In the UK, we our numbers are very low. For example, in construction, I think it's like 4.9% of the industry that is women owned. And uh, that's so low. And especially in an industry where it's going to take us 200 years to see the change we want to see, especially in an industry where um, the innovation and just the, the level of acceptance and the culture is not where we want it to be. How are we going to really accelerate that? For me, it's by having more of a startup and run successful businesses. That's how I looked at it, because um, it doesn't matter what people say. With money comes power with power you get more seats at the table with power you get really to influence policies you get to influence culture and that's how i looked at it so for me i'm i am about empowering women to start grow and scale their businesses I am not about us waiting and begging for seats at tables anymore. We have been waiting for a very long time. It is not happening and no one has 200 years to wait. We want to start if accelerating that change by having more of us. The more of us start um, starting up businesses, the more of us start growing our businesses, we start throwing pebbles in the pond one at a time and it becomes a ripple effect of change. And when more of us start talking, it's going to be like a chorus and they will not be able to ignore us as women because with money comes power. And that, I mean, the research show, even the RICS did some research the other day and women, I think it was like 40, 
40 something into early 50s, they earn 20,000 pounds less than their male counterparts doing the same work. So the, th the fact of the matter is that as you get older as a woman, you start earning less. As you get older as a man, they see it as, oh, you have a lot of experience. <laughs> so we're going to pay you more. So our bargaining power is reducing as we get older, right? And so if, if we are going to sit around and wait for the industry to make the changes by, by itself, it's not going to happen, at least not in our lifetime right now. And so that's how Master Bill Hurst came about. It's about bringing women together to tap into their own mastery and the mastery of each other and growing widely successful businesses, elevating their lifestyles, dominating their industries and creating a culture of change. Because when you see one woman start up, Jane down the road, she's a plumber, she starts up, she's running her business, her business is doing well, she can hire another woman. Um, let's say Jackie is a roofer. She sees Jane doing that. She's like, oh, I can do that too. Representation matters. And I see this, you know, in the women who contact me. The other day a woman contacted me. She said, you know what? I just realized that the man who he's in the same work that I'm doing is making more than me. And she's like, I'm devastated because I make so much sacrifice. I make a lot of sacrifice to do this job. You know, I, I have women who tell me, you know, I had my child and I left my child, you know, with the child mind or the nursery to go back to work. You know, that do you know how it rips your heart out as a mother to leave your child with someone else to go back to work? And then you realize I'm not even making enough, <laughs> you know, and it's devastating. But how are we going to change the game? We're going to have to change the game by really just playing the game and how capitalism works is that with money comes power and right now as a collective we don't necessarily have that amount of power because if 44.9 percent of us are owning businesses within the sector that's not enough share of the pie in order to make a huge enough impact so that's what master built hers is about and that's how that's how the name came about actually <laughs> That's great. I mean, so I mean, to me, it sounds like trying to get as many sort of uh, startups um, led by women in, in the construction sector. That's sort of an accurate summary. Yes, that, that's about it. But you know what? There are women there. So, for you know, I had a woman who spoke to me the other day and they are women already in the sector um, who they want to work, um, you know, for themselves or they may have tried mm. and they didn't succeed but the, the the success is 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 not or the failure of success is not a reflection of their abilities it's just the fact that we don't have the the same level of support camaraderie you know pouring to us as you know for example i mean research shows that a male for example could go into the bank and get a loan a lot easier than a woman can or even when you look at um the angel investors, venture capitalists, they tend to go towards more male-owned companies, right? That's just a fact. So it's about, you do have these women and she's like, you know, they come, um, she's a woman in the industry too, she's a senior woman, and she, they, the women would contact her and say, oh, I'm looking for a job, you know? And she's like, when she talks to them and uh, she's like, oh, but we are doing your own thing. You can do it. You can do it. You just need some help to get off the girl. You can do it. So there are tons of women out there with this ambition. They just have nowhere to go because for so long, when you think of women in construction, what comes to mind? Women employees in construction. Because the narrative, it's just been one narrative. Woman in construction. It's all about getting women into the industry. And we do this by... Um, supporting or perpetuating this view that they should be employees. They don't all have to be employees. You know, uh, the narrative needs to be enlarged to increase, um, you know, to the point where women can also be uh, uh, business owners. So when you think of women in construction, your mind 
just doesn't automatically think, oh, she must be an employee at so-and-so. And that's that that's what I've been found I found in the industry. For example, in law, I never had this view that I couldn't be uh, have my own firm. It's natural in law, for example, and a law is a male-dominated industry too, with a long history, yeah. <laughs> all right, of disparity. But we have reached a point, even in this old <laughs> profession, where women feel empowered that they can set up and start their own firm. You know, in construction, it has been my experience, and I've worked in other industries too, even in financial services, and it's the same in financial services. You have women who think, oh, I can get, I can start my own bank, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but my experience is that in construction you don't necessarily have that and it's because the narrative has been so dominant for centuries that um, women are just employees and it goes back to history right when you even look at the role of the unions um even during the world wars and so forth it has always been to keep women out right women are taking away the jobs from men not the case okay so we have world war the men are going off let's bring the women into fill it and then when the men come back let's pass a law or a policy that says women should not be allowed to work you know in the trades or so that has been the history right mm-hmm. of, of the construction um here and so what that does is that it perpetuates the narrative that okay so as a woman you only can come in and find work and then we have the other on the other foot you know you're an outsider you're older, you can't get an apprenticeship. And so you're often left at the mercy of the employer. When you go on site, for example, you have a lot of consultants, independents. They're mostly men, right? You'll be hard pressed to, to find a, a woman or you know multiple women on a site who are consultants working for themselves. It's just not the case. And it's because of the narrative. And that's what, you know, yeah. even in Master Builders, it's about trying to change that narrative. Um, yeah. for women in construction yeah mm. I, I think i know of one sort of startup company that is purely led started by a woman led by women each apprentice is a woman a woman um, accountant is a woman it's yes. a great and i love to see that and i like to see more of that really and i think that yes. is a beacon and an inspiration for uh women coming in from the side and, and young women coming up through apprenticeships or graduate schemes yes. how to get into this um and actually i can probably i can see that company going really far and growing rapidly um because of what they're, yes. what they're doing so i really hope yes. some big things from that and hope to see more of it really yes so you're really sort of empowering women into doing that and that's quite interesting that in the law in the world of law and the world of finance you're right you do see sort of more um female-led startups practices and you know, in counting yes. and, and, and law. So, and you do see less of that in construction. Yes. And, and I think that's really interesting insight that actually, if we do it's, help- It's a narrative because, hmm. yeah, because even going to university and stuff like that, you do, you know, one of the things they teach you is starting your law firm. Even mm-hmm. here, you're doing, you know, the law society and stuff, they teach you, oh, you just start your law firm and then the same, you don't, but I mean, when you go to school, so let's say you, you follow a purely construction path, you know, like I was speaking to a lady and she said that she only did one, she did a course in contract management and that was it. You know, <laughs> everything else is technical. Yeah. Um, so you don't really get that, that opening of the mind mm. that, you know, you can do, you can go off, you can do something else. You don't mm. have to follow the crowd. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's that's quite typical. I mean, look at the subject leadership throughout university, throughout my career. It's always been getting the technical competence, getting, you know, um, yeah. the, all the analytical side. And then all of a sudden you become a, a leader or put into a leadership role and then you haven't got a clue what you're doing and you fall on your face. I think that's yeah. quite typical. You know, they don't teach you how to start business. So it's a sort of things you've got to go out and learn. Um, so that's, that's, that's really interesting and some really great insights into that. So what do you hope to achieve? What's what's your really main aim? What's the biggest target you're trying to aim for with Master Build Hers? My aim is to, my mission is to have um, more women turning over one million pounds a year. That's it. And uh, initially I put a, a number, like I had a, a maximum number of women or businesses and I took it off. Mm-hmm. I don't want to limit myself. I just know that if we need to, right now we're 
I would say we need to get at least 10%, mm. at least 10% of the businesses being mm. owned by women. And of those women, like they say, use the 80-20 rule, I would like 80% of them turning over a million mm. pounds a mm. year. And, it's possible and, because construction is a high growth industry. There are not many industries that you can go into and turn over a million pounds, even in a year, even less than a year, you can do that in this industry mm-hmm. because this is a high growth industry. Everybody pumps money in this. Even after COVID, you see the government is like, construction is going to get us out of this. It's one of those industries. And the fact that it's out there and we are not having or taking a, a chunk of that mm-hmm. is a problem. It's an untapped resource. It's, it's yes. a gap in the market, if you like. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's really good. And so um, if if people wanted to come and talk to you and, 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 and know more about Master Builders, how are you how are you helping empower and how are you helping um, people do those startups and, and, and take a bigger chunk of that pie? What, what, what are Master Builders doing? Um, so we have a website, which is masterbuilders.com. We're on um, Instagram at masterbuilders and I'm on LinkedIn at Pat- uh, as Patricia Haywood. And we also have a page there, but we help with, with I do a lot of one-to-one coaching with women and also VIP days. And periodically we do small group programs. Last year we had a small group program. Um, and I also, because I'm a lawyer, I know um, I'm big on corporate social responsibility because as a lawyer, you have to do pro bono hours. So we also have pro bono hours that, you know, help with the community um, and stuff like that. So that's how um, I've been working with women. We are for profit and uh, and looking right now, I'm looking for ways to have partnerships in order to to. Um, to find more ways to have that corporate social responsibility aspect to the company to, to just spread the message and get more women, you know, really just gung ho and revved up to know that they can do this, they can do their own thing. So that's what I've been doing. I put out a lot of content, a lot of videos. If you go on the website, there are a lot of um, things that you can consume. We also have a private podcast <laughs> for the 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 winner, the women, the master bill hers. We call them masters. Um, you know, where and um, the aim is eventually to create a community where women can just gather and tap into each other. And uh, because one of the thing is that you have to go together. You know, I, I told you before that Napoleon Hill, you know, is one of the people that I look up to. And one of the things that he talks about is the mastermind. And you have to connect with people who are on the same journey as you, because. Um, to stay the course is going to require a lot. And that's why a lot of businesses fail. A lot of businesses fail, not just because, you know, they don't have the money or the know-how, but it's just the tenacity of it. So staying the course takes a lot. And if you have a group of girlfriends who are cheering you along, they're going through the same things and you can bounce ideas off each other, you're going to get there faster. You're going to get to that million pounds a lot faster. And this century and this time, everything is about collaboration and partnerships. If that's how you're going to build your business and your brand. The old way of doing things on your own, going alone, is not is not the way of the future. It's not the business model of the future. That's that's fantastic. Um, so yeah, I do recommend to absolutely everybody, you know, to connect with Patricia. The content that you put out there is fantastic. I really do enjoying seeing a lot of that. And um, yeah, you are really a, a real inspiration to a lot of people. So thank you for everything you do. Um, so, unfortunately, we have to come. We have to uh, bring this podcast to a bit of a wrap. <laughs> That's fine. Unfortunately, it was so nice um, talking to you. <laughs> but before we do wrap this up, there's the, a couple of questions I want to ask. Well, actually, the first the first thing is really um, is is for you to ask me a question, and I'm not going to answer it now. I'll answer it at the beginning of the next podcast. Um, but if you have a question, a leadership question for me um, that you'd like to ask, then then I can answer that next week. Okay, so in, you know, in construction, we are big on hierarchy and Mm -hmm. on projects, everything is about hierarchy. And I think what I would love for you to discuss in the next episode is how, what is your view on hierarchy? How do you think it impacts just the way in which and the culture and the way in which we conduct a business? And what are some of the alternative structures you think that could be utilized in the industry? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. I really like that topic. 
that's something I'm really passionate about myself. So I'll enjoy yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I'll, 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 I'll add that on to the next, the next podcast. So thank you ever so much for that. Um, so the, the last thing I'd like to ask you then is, is what do you think is the most important aspect of leadership? I think the most important aspect of leadership is self-awareness because self-awareness is humbling until you reach that point. I call it heightened self-awareness. You think that you know everything <laughs> when you do not know a thing. <laughs> you, come from a, you come from a place, it's like when you're a lawyer, for example, you have leading questions and you lead the, because you, you already know the answer. That's the answer you want, <laughs> right? When you have self-awareness, you come from a place of asking open-ended questions because you are willing to hear a different point of view. And we see that all the time in, in the industry, right? Um, the question, how, how things are phrased, you know that the project, this is what the project manager wants. And, you know, but it boxes us in and it, it perpetuates a status quo and it, it reinforces that view that this is how we've always done things. It doesn't open your mind up to contemplate alternative solutions. And I think it robs the, the project and also the industry from just having um, people say what's on their mind. And, you know, it comes back to um, when you talk about leadership and, for example, men, uh, you know, how men lead and why is it that some men don't talk up when they see things happen on site, for example, something happened to a woman or some, some men is because we, the leaders, I believe, lack this level of self-awareness. And so they come from a place of superior authority. That's what happens when you have self-awareness, you come from a a point of humbleness because you're always open to learning new things and receiving and you know that you don't know everything um so i would say this a lot of us lack self-awareness and it's a journey and it's it's an appreciation and um i think it's 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 being open to recognize that you are not always right and that you don't know everything mm. and that's that's a struggle for a lot of people in the industry because we're in an industry where you're supposed to know everything <laughs> but that's not life mm. you know and that's why so many projects go wrong because yeah. everything is pinned to one person who is supposed to know everything about the project and so you know they can't it's inhuman mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't be a human being and be like that so i would say a level of self-awareness all the great leaders that i study and that i look up to like in my circle they all have a high level of self-awareness and one of the things that i've learned is that great leaders are open to learning more they're open to teaching they they will show you the way they will not hold anything back from you and that's because they have a high but you have a high level of self-awareness you you're not worried about, you know, who's coming to take my shine or shine is there for everybody. And so you delegate, you don't micromanage, you know, do things like that. No, I think that's absolutely perfect. And exactly. Uh, I agree with you that I think that's brilliant. Uh, that it sort of reminds me of a phrase that um, the more, you know, the more you realize the, the about the stuff that you, how much you don't you, know. You don't know. Yes. You know? <laughs> And that's so yes. true. It, the more you learn, the more you realise yes. you don't know a lot of things. Yes. So that's yes. absolutely brilliant. But it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today and hear about your insights and perspective on women in construction. I really do think it's going places yourself and uh, I really hope that helps inspire and empower women uh, to do more startups and, and really, um, you know, uh, improve our industry, bring a fresh perspective, uh, innovation. Yes and um, hold hold us men accountable for our actions and, and really um you know helps change changes for the better so um yeah yeah it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show thank Patricia. you so much for having me thank you <laughs>